From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Schools are supposed to be a safe place to learn. And although the California Constitution actually guarantees the right to attend public schools that are safe, school shootings have become shockingly commonplace and a nagging fear of every parent that their child could be the next victim. What are California schools doing to protect their children from active shooters? We'll ask Elaine Howe, California State Auditor. We'll also hear from Doug Collings with Merced City School District and Stephen France with the Clovis Unified School District. Protecting students from active shooters. Are schools making the grade? Additional funding for the Maddie Report made possible by a grant from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world. As well as support from Era Energy LLC, Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant, Nossaman LLC, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the California Channel at the State Capitol and the Maddie Institute, it's the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. Active shooters on school campuses have been in the news with an alarming frequency. Recently, our guest, Elaine Howell, the state auditor, issued a report on whether school districts are prepared to prevent or address such tragedies. Welcome to the Matty Report. Pleasure to be here. So it seems like, you know, we never used to hear about school shootings. Uh, now it seems that they've become kind of, unfortunately, co commonplace. Uh, what does the state data show? Right. Unfortunately, uh, both nationally, uh, based on FBI statistics, and here in California, in the last three or four years, we've seen a, a real increase in the number of incidents, threats, and incidents occurring on our campuses, K through 12 and higher ed. Yeah, we've been we've been tracking it in something called the Maddie Daily, which is an e-newsletter, and you're seeing more of these things happening in school districts locally. You never saw that before. You're saying that the the results also on the national level, um, you're also seeing more. There've been FBI studies uh, that have shown. Uh, increase in these incidents? That's correct. The FBI did a 15-year study from 2000 to 2015 information that we looked at when we were conducting the audit and it really did show an increase particularly in the last four or five years uh, in the number of incidents occurring particularly higher education K through 12 um, the highest percentage is commerce just industrial area, right. commercial areas, but the second highest is K-12 higher education as far as the increase in the number of incidents Yeah, and I occurring. did a deep dive into your, into your report, and it shows that 22.5% uh, of national uh, uh, these uh, active shootings are in uh, educational institutions, and in California, 27%, so about a quarter. That's um, right. So it's not mm -hmm. an insignificant amount. Um, okay, so state law mandates something called uh, school safety plans. Uh, they've right. been doing this for some time. Mm -hmm. What are the key components of, of these uh, school safety plans? The key components of a school safety plan are policies and procedures for how to react to a particular emergency. A lot of the plans address things like earthquakes, those types of things. They don't necessarily address active shooter incident, but the plans include procedures, they talk about training, uh, drills for students to go through, the kind of information that needs to be shared with teachers, the plans require communication with the public, so parents know, right. you know, what what well, the right. issues are. Think about the frightening about parent school. having to even think about these issues. Uh, right. Pretty bad. Who's who's responsible for developing those plans? There's a council that's put together. Uh, each school is supposed to have a council, which would be the principal of the school, a teacher, a parent representative, another employee of the of the school or the school district, and that council gets together, works with local law enforcement, and really looks at the previous plan. What do we need to do to 
update the plan and comes up with a proposed plan that has to be approved by either the district or the county office of So I was going to ask you about that. So just the process of how a safety plan is adopted, just kind of walk us through that. Right. Well, the council, first of all, will look at the if there's an existing plan. Hopefully mm -hmm. there is. Some schools don't even have a plan. It's hard uh, to believe. Right. But they'll look at that plan, and then they'll receive input from students, teachers, et cetera, mm -hmm. certainly local law enforcement, try to assess the climate of the campus, the school. Has it changed? And when uh, you're climbing, you're not talking about temperature. You're, no, you're, you're not talking, talking about temperature. You're talking about the mix of students in the school. Potential for danger. Potential danger that may be occurring on campus, where the campus is located, those sorts of things. All of those considerations need to be included and addressed when they're putting the plan together. So when we're talking about active shooters, are procedures for active of shooters a required part of, of these plans? Up until uh, this year, no, they were not. So they're, they're actually, after this audit report was issued, the member who requested the audit, Assemblymember Rodriguez, authored some legislation that does now require, which will be effective in January of 19, uh, require these plans to consider active shooters and how to respond to those types of situations. When we conducted our audit, that was not required uh, as a part of a plan. Yeah, and it was interesting, when you're looking at your report, you also talked about the Sandy Hook Advisory Commission uh, out in 2012 made some recommendations about uh, perimeter uh, lockout procedures and interior lockdown procedures. So there, right. there's already been some studies on this, on how to kind of best practices. Absolutely, and unfortunately, the Sandy Hook, you know, guidance came out after the the incident in in, in uh, Connecticut. Um, but the FBI also has guidance, and you're right: lockdown procedures, lockout procedures, evacuation. That's the best right. scenarios if you can get away from the school. Uh, but there are a variety of different things that schools should be considering when they're putting their plans together. So I just want to make sure I understand this: Had there been attempts then to require policies and procedures when it comes to active shooters as part of a safety plan this is part of this legislation? There had been attempts in the past. Uh, okay. In previous years, we looked at some legislation. It didn't make it out of the legislature onto the governor's desk. Uh, I think because of the uh, frequency and the increase in incidents, uh, it became more of an issue for not only our state, but nationally. Mr. Rodriguez authored some legislation. There were some changes to it as it made it way, its way through the process, but it was ultimately uh, sent to the governor and signed, uh, so it will be an act, you know, effective January of 19. I, th I think any parent looking at their school district would want to have something in place, yep. um, obviously because of their concerns. Well, up next, we're going to talk a little more about uh, active shooters, that conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe about what schools are doing or not doing to respond to active shooter incidents on their campuses. Now, according to your survey, how many school mm -hmm. districts did not require school safety plans to include procedures that specifically address the threat of active shooters, and, and what was the reason for, for not doing that? Right. Well, we, we actually visited uh, about six, six entities, but we surveyed over 900 entities in the state of California, school districts wow. and county offices of education. About 40% of those actually responded to our survey. Of those, it was about 300... That's actually a pretty good response rate. Man, 340-some-odd school districts and county offices said 14% of those, so about 50, 60 school districts, said they do not require... Uh, anything in their school safety plan to address either a threat or an incident related to active shooters. And their so reason was? Well, some of them, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't even aware of what the requirements were okay. for being in a school safety plan. Some of them said, well, we used a consultant to prepare our plan. They weren't really thinking uh, enough about it. So I think a lot of the districts are reconsidering that, that it, particular policy. One thing you policy. mentioned in your report is, uh, is that those school districts that have experienced uh, violent, violent incidents 
they're on board here. Um, Absolutely on board. We, we looked at, and again, San Bernardino, there was the incident at the regional center. wasn't at the school, right. but it was close enough to a school, um, and also Taft Unified. And we asked both of those schools, and, and they said having lockdown procedures, having information that they have taught their teachers, educated their students about, really reduced the... Uh, the, in, the, the effect of the incident uh, and saved lives. Yeah, uh, very important, obviously. Um, so it appears that the rash of school shootings um, is beginning to get the attention of most school districts, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. So what did you find when you were doing this survey then as you started to talk about this with various school districts? Right. And again, as I said in the survey, 14% did not have information in their school safety plan, but that means 86% of our respondents did have something in their plan That's a good way to, to look address. At that. Right. right. It's a little more positive. Mm -hmm. um, but again, even though they had information in their plans, it wasn't necessarily robust. Uh, they weren't necessarily providing training to their students, but they are certainly more aware that this is a situation, unfortunately, that we have to be prepared for in our schools in yeah, California. You, you were mentioning in your report the FBI recommends student and staff training. I mean, you got to know how to deal with these instances. You know, it's like a fire drill these days. Absolutely, and there's a lot of training related to reacting to an earthquake, you know, get underneath your desk, right. those sorts of things. Sadly, we have to now consider either a threat of an incident or an active shooter on our particular school campuses and have our students prepared to react. You know, it's interesting in your report, um, you cite experts and what they think districts should be doing to respond to active shooter situations. What are some of the things that they talk about? Like, I think you mentioned, right. for example, lockdown procedures. Right, right. There's a variety of things. Lockdown procedures, getting those uh, classrooms locked down, lockout procedures. If there's a way to lock out, if the shooter is a, on a different part of the campus, let's get some of the buildings locked out where the individual can't even get into that I'm wondering, are they, building. Are they also then talking about how campuses are actually designed now? To I think they are considering. Mm -hmm. We didn't look specically at that, but we looked at the lockdown, lockout, Evacuation is your best scenario get where you can get out of the situation. If uh, there's also um, procedures you know, in, the, in, the, in the evacuation procedure, you know, if a police officer shows up on scene and all the students are running out of the building, the shooter could be among those people running out. That's true, and I think that's part of what needs to be in the plan to figure out when is, when is a decision to evacuate the appropriate decision. Clearly, in all of the training, they talk about if you, if you lock down or you lock out, stay there until law enforcement tells you it's safe uh, to unlock the doors or to even attempt to evacuate. The other thing is you had this, this run-hide-fight procedure. Right. So kind of go through right. it very quickly. What, what is that? Right. Run-hide-fight is exactly what In it sounds sequence. like. Ra run is evacuate. Get away yeah. from the situation. Hide is if you're not able to get away from the situation, you've got to Close the, the uh, classroom door, lock it, turn the lights off, hide in the closet, barricade the door, do the kinds of things to try to avoid that individual coming into the classroom. Um, and then I don't and remember. Was, and and was, fight. And, fight, and that's yeah. last, last right. scenario. That that's first, like that's your, your last. last. If right. you have to fight back against the individual, if they come into your classroom, then you've got to do what you can to try to disarm the person. But clearly, run, hide. Are the first. You know, it's interesting uh, when I'm looking at this, and I don't necessarily need, need a response from you, or you don't have to give a response, but what I don't see here is arm the teachers. Right, yeah, and we didn't look at that. Um, that certainly is something that I know has been discussed out there, but that was not something that was recommended by the FBI or any of the guidance that we've it, seen out there. It's interesting that the FBI, you think if that was something that would be useful, that the FBI would mention that. They, they don't seem to mention that. No, we didn't see it in any of the um, guidance. Yeah, so, so it seems like the, the way that some of these campuses can be designed, you can actually design them in a way to make it easier to lock down 
you know, change the locks on doors, the way the campuses are designed, et cetera. Right, so right. So other things you can be pre proactive. So school mm -hmm. districts, I'm sure, will be looking at that. Well, up next, we're going to talk more with the state auditor and about why she gave an incomplete to some school safety plans that she reviewed. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe mm -hmm. about school safety plans generally and active shooter situations in particular. Um, so generally, what did you find when it came to school safety plans? Uh, incomplete. Okay. Uh, a lot of the plans that we looked at did not have, there's uh, several elements, 19 or 20 different elements mm -hmm. that should be included in a school safety plan. And when we looked at the sample of plans, we found that a lot of those elements were missing. Um, two particular, San Bernardino uh, did not have very good plans. Um, and then Taft and uh, Rockland actually did a pretty good job putting their plans together. It seems like a sm the larger district kind of was missing it and the smaller right. district was getting it. Right, um, right. Let me ask, let's talk a little about specifics. So when you looked at the school districts, um, what did you find when it came to developing and submitting these school safety plans? Were they meeting legal requirements? They were not necessarily meeting legal requirements. For example, as I spoke about earlier, Annually, they should be looking at their plan and determining whether they need to amend that plan and update it based on incidents that may have occurred or based on incidents that have occurred in other parts so of the it's country. So the plan things... you develop and, and you know, five years later you're looking, you're right. looking at it every year. Right. It's supposed to be annual review and amendment if necessary to the plan. Okay. You should be communicating the plan to the public. You should be yeah, one sharing the, information. If I can stop for a second, sure. just because I found it really interesting <clears throat> in your report. Right. Zero out of 16 communicated. That's right. Not a single. That's amazing. right. And it's important to communicate to the public, certainly <laughs> to so. parents who have students in that school, right. but to the public at large. And you need to be notifying teachers of certain circumstances. If there's a dangerous student in their class, uh, if there's a student who has had issues, but the community the teachers, the staff within the school district also need to be aware of what's in the you safety just plan can't and make get a plan training. Put it on the shelf, you got to communicate it out to folks. Right. Let me ask you about this. So, school safety plan is supposed to assess such things as the school climate. We talked about that earlier, but it's mm -hmm. a climate regarding potentially dangerous situations. Um, right. How did school districts do on that point? Not very well. Uh, again, this is a situation where a lot of the schools were not reviewing climate and they weren't assessing, has the climate changed? Do we have a mix of different students in this particular school? Particularly when, if, if you have an elementary school, you have new kids coming in right. or a junior high school, middle school, you have new kids coming into that school, kids aging out, going to high school. So you've got to reassess your climate on an annual basis and determine the mix of students Again, if there has been a situation in the region that, that needs to be addressed, be a, a lot of things you have. Could be gangs, whatever, could be influencing could the be. schools, um, sure. which is something that's an anathema. I never grew up with that, but apparently in mm -hmm. some of these districts, that's a, that's a real issue. Right. Um, and you were finding, I think in your report, you said 12 out of 16 missed all eight of the elements of dealing with the dangerous climate, climate. situations. That's, mm -hmm. that's pretty prevalent. Um, so what about procedures about responding to disasters and emergencies? How did the... Safety plans stack up when it came to responding to disasters and emergencies. Well, even though the school plans have required um, them to have information in their plans related to disasters and emergencies, again, we found some of the schools did not have that information, and that's, you know, earthquakes. And California's been prevalent as far as earthquakes mm -hmm. for years. Yeah. So you would expect there would be those kinds of procedures um, and information in the plan. And for many of the districts we looked at, we did not see that information. Another interesting statistic I pulled from your sure. report was mm -hmm. 15 
out of 16 plans were missing anything dealing with students with disabilities. That's right. That was ah. alarming to us because those are the students that are going to need assistance. The most vulnerable. Uh, particularly if you're trying to evacuate or even right. if you're trying to hide the students and lock down a classroom. You, you've got to make sure you have procedures to deal with your students who have disabilities that are going to need help right. from other students or the teachers. So what are the reasons that they gave for, for you know, these incomplete safety plans? Well, again, some of the sure, reasons the were they were, yeah, oh, we weren't aware of all of the different requirements. Um, we're looking for guidance from the Department of Education. The Department of Education at the state level has a role. They should be providing better guidance. Much of the guidance we looked at from Department of Ed was not sufficient for the schools to be following to make sure that their plans so the were up to date. So the oversight was an issue? It, absolutely an issue. Not only at the state level, but at the local level too. The school district mm -hmm. or the county office of education, they weren't aware that they should be looking at school safety plans. They weren't even assuring that all their schools within their district had plans, and that's a requirement. You know, one of the things I thought found interesting in your report also, it's a very interesting report, I encourage folks to, to go online and read it, um, is that some of these school districts use generic safety plans as opposed to site-specific plans. Right. They're using a template. Yeah, so they're, you cutter. know, exactly. And that may not make sense for one district versus another district. So absolutely. That's why you have to have that council put together and they really have to go through the effort of assessing the climate. Right. Where is our school located? What's the mix of students in our school? We need to develop a plan that works for our school. You, you also mentioned statewide guidance and oversight. Um, mm -hmm. The California Department of Education, I guess the uh, Department of Justice are involved. What did you find there? Right. And as I said, Department of Education, the guidance was insufficient. There was a partnership that was created years ago, I don't remember the exact year, Department of Justice and the Department of Education were supposed to be working together, our state law enforcement, working with local Which law makes enforcement, sense. makes sense, to bring uh, the communities together and really come up with guidance that makes sense. Unfortunately, that partnership has not been actively uh, working for several years now. And Department of Justice told us because they had budget cuts, CDE told us, well, local control funding formula changed some of the money. So they have not been actively engaged in trying to, to work back with on schools. Task on that for Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Well, up next, we're going to talk about some of the best practices when responding to active shooter situations on school campuses. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with State Auditor Elaine Howe about mm -hmm. school safety plans. So, what are some of the best practices uh, that you found? Well, one of the school districts, <clears throat> excuse me, that we saw that was really doing a good job, and when we assessed all the elements of their safety plans, uh, looked really good, and that's Rockland uh, mm -hmm. Unified School District. They actually have created a template. And Rockland for the, is where for, for folks who don't Placer know County, Northern California, okay. um, not far from Sacramento. But they actually created a safety plan template for all of their schools to use, so it made sure that each school is including all of the elements that need to be in a safety plan. The other thing they do is they actually track, are all the schools completing these plans? Are they making sure that the plan, so there's oversight at the, you, at the district level. You've got to have that which feedback loop, right? Really, you can't really just do good. the plan, you've got to actually document whether it's right. actually happening. And you said something about uh, Placer County requires districts and its jurisdictions to certify that those plans have been reviewed and adopted. Right, and that was some information that we talked about a little bit earlier where we talked to the districts and some county offices of ed. You're required on an annual basis to make sure your schools have plans. If they don't, you have to notify Department of Education. Education has never been notified in 15, 20 years. So we put, we put the responsibility on the districts and county office of ed. Placer County requires that certification so, so they know, yes, all of our schools and our so county. So parents and districts know, if you want to look for, for our best practices, take a look at what's happening in, in Rockland. Um, Absolutely. So 
you made some you made some recommendations regarding legislative action. It sounds like some of those recommendations were adopted, but not all. That's correct. Some of the recommendations we had a variety of recommendations for the legislature to consider. Uh, the, again, the requester of the audit, Mr. Rodriguez, Assemblymember Rodriguez authored legislation requiring active shooter uh, response to be included in school safety plan. He wanted Department of Education to be surveying schools on an annual basis, do a statewide survey. He wanted training to be provided to students. Some of it that made like, it. It sounds like some your audit was didn't. a great guide to what was in that proposed legislation. Right. We thought it would, all, it would bring all of the information together so and really what strengthen. Didn't, what didn't get in the legislation? So what did not get in the legislation, I looked at the bill analysis, they deleted the requirement that schools have to provide training to their students students that's, on active shooter incidents. I have incidents. to say, that, that's very surprising because it, if you look at the FBI reports, they're saying that's like number one of the hit parade of, right. of what Training, to do. Training's incredibly important. I don't know why it was deleted. Uh, you know, yeah. I just have the analysis. The other, the requirement that the Department of Education conduct that statewide survey to make sure all schools have Again, plans. Again, very important. Very important information. So sadly, that was deleted from the legislation. The good news is the legislation does require safety plans to include information related to active shooter incidents. But we've got to get the training for the maybe, students maybe and the teachers. Maybe they're going to come back and, and, and Hopefully in the future there's, there's more. A little bit. Um, you also wanted state agencies like the California Department of Education and the Department of Justice to take some actions. Uh, what did you want them to do and have they done it? We haven't seen any action yet, but we wanted what we wanted the Department of Education to do is <clears throat> update its guidance. We looked at its guidance. It's dated 2002. So that is ancient. Because uh, I think you said there was a handbook done, uh, uh, right. Safe Schools, a planning guide for action in 2002. 2002. That's right. And, it's come and up on 20 years. Exactly. And what we talked about earlier is the number of incidents has increased. The climate in the in state fact, of California. Since then, it's been a spike. Right. Since okay. 2000. Yeah, there's been a spike just in the last few years. So education's got to update that. Education and Department of Justice need to work together to also provide additional guidance and direction to schools about, you know, security of their buildings, the kinds of things, the types of training they need to provide to their staff, the teachers, etc. So, and then if there are best practices, like what's happening in Placer County at Rockland, let's share that with other schools. Is this template something that at least other school districts can use as a starting point? As you indicated earlier, made a great point, you need to specialize it to your specific district but this template's a starting point for right. a lot of schools that don't have plans at all. Right, and they're talking about the schools as soft targets. That's why active shooters go there. But mm -hmm. You can make them a little harder target by the way they're designed. You don't want to make them look like a, you know, like a, like a prison, but right. there are ways to design them to make mm -hmm. them more safe that probably mm -hmm. should be part of that best practice, I, I would assume. And certainly updating a 2002 handbook. Absolutely. It makes Absolutely. some sense. I think a lot of people would be surprised about that. So mm -hmm. last thing I want to talk mm -hmm. about was your recommendations for local school districts. Um, what would you like to see happen there? Right, and this is the, the local school districts, again, as we talked about, are required to ensure that all of their schools have a safety plan completed by March 1st of every year. And what we found that a lot of school districts, based on the survey, they voluntarily said, no, I, we don't have a plan. Those county offices of education and school districts need to make sure that they're monitoring all their schools and ensuring that those schools have a plan. And then when they look at that plan, ensure it includes all of the elements necessary to have a strong plan. So what we could do then is encourage our audience to remember that March 1st is the trigger, is, no, I don't want to say that, is no, the date, date. <laughs> right. uh, to take care of this. And so they might want to call their school districts a month or two in advance and say, where are you on this? Absolutely. Maybe, that, maybe that's a nice reminder. You're listening to the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition on KMJ. Welcome. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. So how are Valley schools addressing the threat of a school shooting? We have representatives from two of the Valley's largest school districts, Doug uh, Collings, the Associate Superintendent of Personal Services with the Merced City School District. Welcome, Doug. 
Thank you. Happy and to be here. Great. And Steve France, the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services with the Clovis Unified School District. Welcome, Steve. Thank you very much. Okay, so Steve, let's start with you first. Uh, we've been talking about how to plan for situations involving a shooting on, on campus. And experts say uh, districts should prepare uh, for active shooter situations by having procedures in place for things like locking the school down, uh, locking the person out, evacuation, as well as, you know, the run, hide, fight kind of procedures. How many of these does Clovis Unified have? Do you have drills on these? How often? How do you do it? Yeah, we have uh, we do a, a wide range of drills throughout the throughout the year. Um, we have obviously the lockdowns, the evacuations, the duck and covers, all those types of drills, which are all components of the uh, active. In, we, we're calling it active intruder um, because it can be oftentimes more than just a shooter. Um, you know, those are all components of that particular active intruder training. Um, and then we also have the run, hide, fight piece in which we incorporate that with our students and staff as, you know, with, uh, with local law enforcement as well. Yeah. Uh, so in, in the lockdown procedures, just to be clear on that, I mean, they basically mean what? I mean, you go to a, a building or a classroom and you lock it and um, you hide. Is that basically in a lockdown procedure? That's what you do? Yeah, we actually have two different types of lockdowns. We have what we call a facility alert, which is a lockdown, uh, but it's business as usual. So it's more like, uh, you know, something going around in things. But we also have the lockdown, uh, which basically is you lock it down, you turn the lights off, you hide in a particular area, you basically get under desk, you stay away from windows, all those types of activities, which would be uh, what we would do in an active intruder type of situation. Yeah, Doug Collings with uh, Merced City School District, you know, I was doing some reading and then went back and note, noted that back in 2013, there was an incident at Taft High School down in Kern County um, about a student entering a classroom and he opened fire with a shotgun wounding uh, one student. Uh, but one of the things that, that really worked there that saved more people from being injured is that they had um, a lockdown procedure. What do you have it at uh, Merced City School District? Well, a lot of the same things that uh, Steve already uh, illustrated for you. We we lock down. Uh, we use lockdown more so than say a lockout because of the open nature of our schools. Um, you know, California has outdoor schools. Uh, all of ours um, are that way. So there's not a single building with you know uh, locked entrances. So our lockdown is. We average about three to five uh, drills per school per year on that. There are also other various drills. We had the same exact procedures for um, uh, the actual lockdown possible intruder where you are hiding, like Steve illustrated, but we also have the precautionary lockdown where we do lock down the school, lock down the doors, but uh, teachers continue to teach and, and it's business as usual. Um, other drills, obviously the, the required by law fire drills as well, but we've instituted also uh, an annual uh, off-site evacuation drill for all 18 of our schools. Yes. Um, and they are to be completed by before Thanksgiving break of every school year. Uh, we just instituted that, and we're completing our, our last three this week. You know, it's interesting. You make a really interesting point because I actually grew up in upstate New York, and we do not have uh, classrooms that are outside because it gets very cold. There are a lot of snow. But in California, you're right. The schools are very open. The, the campuses are very open. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast here because the weather's so nice. So what are you doing, Doug, in Merced City School District to retrofit maybe existing buildings or maybe design new campuses to make them a little bit of harder targets? 
Right. Any new building that we would be designing with, I mean, safety is the number one priority for our school board. And uh, so any new, which we don't have right now, any new buildings would have that focus be uh, a number one priority. We have been, uh, we've recently passed uh, a Measure M school bond for modernization and uh, also through our local control accountability plan. Um, upgrading security, we've We've added additional security fencing. Um, we're at uh, up to 300 plus cameras. We're in our phase two and three this fall for cameras at our 18 schools, as well as our satellite uh, uh, district offices. Um, we've also ensured that it's something as simple as making sure that every, do every door can be locked from the inside. You don't have to leave the uh, go outside in, in a potentially dangerous situation in order to lock that door. Um, Every modernization, all of our windows are also uh, being uh, retrofitted so that it's more difficult to see inside of classrooms. You know, many of these schools were built in the 50s and 60s, and the design actually has a lot of windows that are, um, you know, windows start at five feet, five feet above the ground where someone can just walk up and see in, you know, right. because of the nature of design. So all of those things will be considered on any new construction, but they're also considered in all of our uh, modernization. You know, and we're also increasing uh, our communication ability um, by uh, streamlining and uh, organizing our uh, district radios and school site radios uh, with uh, common frequencies. They're pretty comprehensive. You know, Steve, uh, the Clovis Unified School District seems they're always adding a new school every year, it seems. Um, what are you guys doing? Are you, are you thinking about this in, in your designs of new campuses to make them a bit of a harder target? Absolutely. I mean, like Doug talked about, safety is our number one priority for our school board as well. And, and it's, it's important for our community. And, and you know, when, when parents send their kids to school, they need to feel that their, their kids are going to be safe in our schools, in addition to our staff members. So we obviously are looking at different um, you know, safety components. Uh, I, the cameras are a big piece that we can do uh, existing. We have, you know, anywhere from 16 to 32 cameras on every site, depending upon the school size, uh, just like Doug talked about. Um, you know, we talked about the doors, being able to lock those from the inside. Those are extremely important. But, you know, we're also a, a campus. We have a, we don't have, we are pretty open. We don't have a lot of uh, exterior fences. And we do that for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, obviously, if you're on the safety side of it, if you were to have to evacuate the building or evacuate the uh, the facility with the run height fight procedure, then obviously with with little fences, it's easier to get off campus. But right. you know, I think the the staffing is another piece that we really are taking a look at because nothing can take the place of people. Yeah, and uh, the more people we have uh, monitoring the campuses, the better we're going to be. And that includes uh, our police police department that we have our own police department. That includes also our our uh, classified people that are on the actual site. And the police department, by the way, are those, Mark, can, I, can those... I jump in real quick? Sure, sure, Doug. Go ahead. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, really quickly on that run hide fight uh, procedures, because we are we are doing the run hide fight training as well. One of the things that's a little bit different, um, I know Steve would understand this, is uh, Merced City is a K or a preschool through eighth grade school district. Um, that provides a little bit more. Uh, nuance to our training, uh, specifically with families and students that we're working through. We actually have a software called Hour Zero that we're doing and rolling out a standardized run, hide, fight training for all staff uh, that's being also implemented currently. But I just wanted to throw out that that's a nuance that's different versus, they say, unified, which is preschool through 12th grade uh, school district. It does create a, a few different differences between the two. 
Yeah. Um, there's so many questions I want to get to. Let me see if I can kind of collapse a few ideas together here. Uh, Steve, I want to ask you about uh, how sure. often are the safety plans reviewed and how are they communicated uh, to the public? Yeah, I mean, obviously, our comprehensive school site safety plans have to be reviewed on an annual basis, and we comply with that. That's a minimum standard. But, um, you know, we have uh, uh, what we call pre-institute days, which are before the, uh, the students arrive. We have trainings uh, with our staff, uh, all staff, certificate and classified, that go over the safety plans, go over the expectations. Basically, we have a philosophy of know your job, do your job. And uh, if we can establish that early on, if we ever do have a crisis, knock on wood, um, that uh, people would know, you know, what they're what they're supposed to do, what the responsibilities and, and they're are. not going to look around. So, yeah, but, but do absolutely, you, do you, and do, I think do, communication is important. Do you tell parents what those uh, plans are? Or can you communicate them in some way, or, or how would a parent know? Absolutely, we we uh, we have. Uh, you know, obviously with our school site councils, we're, we're obligated to make sure that they're involved, but uh, we just have to think it's a good practice and back to school nights. We have our open houses. We have our, what we call our SART meetings, which are uh, school accountability and review teams. Uh, any opportunity we can share with parents, the more at ease they're going to feel. Uh, yeah. Communication is so important and transparency with our, st- with our community. Yeah, that's for sure. So, so Doug, I assume the same thing at Merced City School District? Yeah, honestly, almost uh, verbatim. I mean, we we also uh, make a uh, effort to collaborate with our local law enforcement, emergency services, or responders. Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, that. We're working harder, probably, harder at that than probably ever before. Um, and, and we, as a, even as a K eight district, it's very common for high schools to have a school resource officer, but. Um, you know, at a K-8, we're actually in the process of hiring two active um, Merced PD officers um, and with their support to continually um, uh, revise and update our safety plans. But everything way, Steve I, said, we're Can I jump in here, Doug? Well. I'm yeah. going to jump in on you now. <laughs> I want to ask both Doug and Steve real yeah, quickly. Are, are your officers armed, police officers, on campus? Our Merced PD officers, yes. Uh, what about yes, their, the, school, the school officers. Um, do you have school officers? I know Clovis Unified says they do, right, Steve? Yeah, we have our own police department, which has 16 uh, post-certified uh, legitimate police officers that uh, are at our secondary sites and, and patrolling all over uh, our, our, our facilities. And they're armed, correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so, so see, let me ask uh-huh. you, let me, let, me see, let me jump a little ahead on another question I want to ask you about, and that was this kind of school climate and potentially dangerous situations. For example, you know, are, are teachers notified if they've got a potentially dangerous student in their class? Do you do anything along those lines at Clovis Unified? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, you know, we have a board policy, 6312, which talks about uh, you know, us informing uh, our teachers of uh, anybody that's been engaged or reasonably suspected to have been engaged in um, in any of those types of 48900 violations and that is done on a uh, twice per year once per semester that's uh, readily available for them at the office and then they can also come in anytime uh, throughout the year and ask for an updated uh, roster as well for their particular class yeah that's interesting because you know the the state auditor in the report we cited earlier in the program said that about 88% of the districts that they looked at do not have that uh, do not inform teachers when a dangerous pupil is in their class so Clovis Unified is in the top 12% or better, good for you guys. Um, let me, Doug, let me ask you about the issues of, of kind of related topic on, on discipline, uh, student discipline and things of that nature, bullying. Uh, do you guys have a policy on that, on physical abuse and, and bullying uh, at Merced City School District? 
Well, yeah, we have a, a, a board policy on, on anti-bullying and, and supported throughout our entire district and all of our schools. Uh, we are a, a positive behavior intervention and support, which is a, called PBIS uh, district. Uh, it is used at all of our school sites. And, and the positive behavior intervention, the whole idea is that our focus is on, on positive behavior and instructing and teaching children um, what that means. What are the positive expectations in the various places throughout the school day, interactions with others? How do they uh, behave in class? How do they behave in the office? So these things are, are woven throughout our entire district, woven through our board policies, um, and uh, we are working really hard to continue on that. The, the LCAP plan is, is really important. We've actually added uh, an additional psychologist, two social workers to our district. We're working together with um, providing training to our teachers. Um, you know, the reality is a lot of bullying-type behaviors come from uh, uh, students who are really dealing with trauma in their lives uh, at home or otherwise. And so we're providing trauma-informed practices training for our teachers and our staff, classified staff as well. Um, so, yes, we, we have the uh, anti-bullying policies and as well as uh, uh, being a PBIS district it's, with it's our our uh, schools varying from bronze to silver to gold uh, implementation. It, it sounds like the Merced City School District is trying to be really proactive. I'm just wondering, is there any anecdotal or empirical evidence that says that this stuff is working? I mean, are, are teachers telling you well, hey, main, things seem to be better? Easily, yeah, the main thing that you can really look at is, is our levels of suspension and expulsion rates, mm -hmm. uh, which over the last six to ten years have just really been on a steep decline. Um, and so our goal is to be exactly what you said, Mark, is extremely proactive. We want to catch all of these things and work on these uh, behaviors, whether it be bullying or otherwise, um, uh, well before and teach children how actually to interact with each other positively and deal with uh, their personal struggles that are kind of giving way for the bullying type behavior or other behaviors. You know, I, I should uh, should note for, for our audience and for you guys, I do actually have a daughter that attends Clovis Unified School Districts, so I'm a little bit aware of what, what, what they do. I know that character is a really big issue in, in Clovis Unified. So, Steve, what do you do in the issue of, of bullying and, and, and physical abuse? You know, kids when they're, you know, pre teens or preteens uh, as they're going to high school, that stuff starts to you see a little bit more of that maybe acting out. What does Clovis Unified do in that regard? Well, obviously, we take a look at you know the particular um, situation. We you know every every case is different, but you know we have the same type of stance as uh, Doug does in regards to you know it, it's a zero. To we don't we don't tolerate any type of bullying, and you know we'll take a look at if there's a type of situation. Do we need to get some social emotional support? I think what the big challenge that we're facing, I think everybody across the country is facing, is the more of the uh, social media issues. Mm -hmm. um, so we're we're trying to put into place some digital citizenship uh, type courses at our schools, so we can start teaching, you know, what is a proper way to use uh, our media in our in our uh, social media. Well, you make such and a, try to work on that side of it. You make such a good point because you know I'm not going to give away my age, but you know this was not an issue when I was in school, and it, it is an issue today for sure. Wait up next. Uh, we're going to talk about what can be learned from previous school shootings to minimize future tragedies. That conversation in a moment. This is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Matty Report, visit our website at mattyinstitute.org. Up next, what are Valley School Districts doing to prepare for active shooters? You're listening to the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition on KMJ. 
Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Doug Collings with Merced City School District and Stephen France with the Clovis Unified School District about what school districts can do to prevent, or God forbid, respond to a parent's worst nightmare, a school shooting situation. So, Steve, um, you know, Clovis Unified uh, sets the example um, in a lot of areas, uh, a leader, you know, not just in the Valley, frankly, probably statewide, if not nationwide. I mean, but given the fact that, we're, you know, school shooters have become so, so commonplace, I assume that there are districts, law enforcement agencies or think tanks that have come up with some best practices that you may have looked at when you're dealing with, you know, how to, how to respond to school shooting situations. Are there any examples that Clovis Unified has found particularly useful? You know, I, I, I think what's, what's unique about our, our, um, our community is that our community is very, very tight. And, you know, we pass school bonds for a particular reason because they support our schools. Uh, the neighborhood watch approach, I think, is extremely important that uh, we have found across the country that has worked for uh, schools because the more eyes you have out there in the community looking for those strange cars coming in or those strange people walking around your schools um, really will help you uh, become more of a safe school. So I think the neighborhood watch approach has been very, very important for our community because uh, we are a tight community. And once again, I think communication and transparency, them knowing that we have a plan, that we will enact on the plan, uh, and that we will, uh, that safety is a number one priority. I think those are important things that, you know, we, we have takeaways about, you know, knowing your job and doing your job. And, and that's important that our community trusts the fact that we will uh, keep the uh, best interest of their kids uh, first and foremost. Yeah, so, uh, so, Doug, what about in Merced uh, City School District? You know, I was doing some research on this, and I was looking at the fact that, you know, after Sandy Hook, there was an advisory committee set up in 2012 that made recommendations on what schools can specifically do to respond to these situations. In the state auditor's report, they talk about the Rockland School District. Uh, I think that's up in Sacramento, about the safety plan template that they have, et cetera. Does when you're looking trying to put together a program for Merced City School District, are you looking around at other districts or, or law enforcement agencies, or how do you how do you put together a good plan to deal with these situations? For Merced City School District, and I think it's probably pretty similar for a lot of school districts. I mean, what we want to make sure is that our plans are in line with emergency responders. I mean, the reality is, is in a in a in a tragic situation that we're describing, we have minutes before we turn over the key, so to speak, to emergency responders. What we have to do as a staff, and, and that means all staff and students, is we have to, um, you know, perform aberrantly in that time frame, and we have to be ready to turn that. So we have to collaborate with our emergency responders. And, and in Merced, we've been working really hard to um, uh, work together with our emergency responders. And uh, sadly, there was a, um, a, a false uh, uh, active shooter situation locally at Golden Valley High School made the news. And we've actually learned a lot uh, from that. And I want to compliment the Merced County emergency responders because they handled it beautifully. And Merced Union High School did a fantastic job as well. But there are always are learning and takeaways from situations like that. One of the things that we've done recently is we've held a joint city council Merced City School District board meeting. And the large focus was on school safety. How can we complement each other and that we don't have that we have open lines of communication and regular meetings to ensure that we are all on the same page. If school districts and emergency responders are not on the same page, then then that could be minutes uh, translated to minutes in the event of a tragic situation. We've also had a, a, a hosted by Merced County Office of Education a recent uh, all districts uh, school safety uh, summit. 
and hosted a special board meeting recently with a with a, an expert on school safety and building those collaboration and building those bridges with uh, emergency responders. So um, I don't know that it's you can point to one specific strategy that changes all that, but what I can say is that if your plans are not in line and they are not collaborated with with your local uh, law enforcement, um, then you you're you're going to cost yourself time in, in a situation where you don't have any. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. I think one of the things that was kind of brought out by the state auditor's report, the importance of collaboration with local law enforcement. Um, Doug, let me ask you this um, real quickly. You know, if you're looking to the state, if there are any state legislators listening to the program or uh, people who work, you know, in, in Sacramento, what would you want to tell them in terms of assistance that you would need at Merced City School District to do even a better job uh, than what you're doing to deal with these uh, potential tragedies? Right. Um, you know, I hate to say something that probably that is probably, but it's the initial thing would be would be funding. You know, the reality is is that I mean, I'm listening to Steve. That we have very different situations, but with uh, you know the fact that Clovis Unified has essentially a, a small police force of, of post-certified officers. Um, recently, we've been using retired. Uh, act, retired uh, police officers, still post-certified, and and uh, act, uh, now we're moving to active PD. But in a preschool through eighth grade district, we're working with we're going to hire two for 18 schools. And so, if the state would take a look at okay, well, what what would be our standard? You know, um, and and obviously look to school districts to help provide leadership in building a standard for. Um, uh, resource officers and what what does that look like across the state? Well, let me as let me opposed ask. to only leaving that to a uh, an individual school. That's district. that's a really interesting point that you're making. What should be the standard? But let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. I'll say that in advance. But you know, you hear a lot about uh, people talking about well, we need to arm teachers. Has that come up at all at, at Merced City School District? I mean, have they talked about that? Is that something they're considering, or that's really not? part of the equation at this point? It really has not come up in Merced City School District. Um, um, there was, the only conversation was recently when the, the law was passed, you know, changing that law. So uh, that, that gave the superintendent the um, the final say-so on, on approving that. The governor's, re- the, the, the legislature's recently taken that away. But in Merced, we really haven't had that conversation. Yeah, so let me, let me give Steve a chance to talk about state government, what they should be doing, and whether it's dealing with arming teachers, um, allowing them to be armed or not, or uh, funding from the state. I assume school districts always want a little more funding to do their job, but uh, what would Clovis Unified, if, if you had your chance to talk to a legislator or the legislature or the governor, what would you like to see them do? Well, I think we, um, you know, we obviously, funding is, is would be a, a great um, addition to our our district, you know, but I think we really need to also take a look not only on the, uh, the safety part of it, the drills and those components, but we really need to take a look at um, mental health services. You know, we have a lot more kids that are having challenges at their home and their community, and the more mental health services we can get, I think the safer our schools will become. Obviously, we have a do, we have to do our due diligence with the drills and preparing our staff and students and our community for uh, these. Uh, really tragic situations. But, you know, the more proactive measures we can do uh, with social emotional issues, I think the better off we're going to be. So I think I would really like to see some additional funding on that part of it to help our kids 
really uh, adjust to some of the major challenges that they have growing up. You know, so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Doug, to be fair. Uh, again, you don't have to answer it because um, it's, it's kind of a question a little bit out in left field, but there are some people have talked about you know, Army teachers. Has Clovis Unified uh, considered that issue uh, or, or not? We're really happy with our police officers uh, and, and, and their professionals. They're trained to use guns. They're uh, they know when it's the right time. They know uh, they they have all the skills necessary to utilize uh, their weapons, and so we're really happy with what we have in our in our in our district with our police department. You know, it is interesting when the FBI came out with their recommendations on dealing with these situations. One of the things that they did not list as a recommendation was arming teachers. Um, so they had all kinds of other things, lockdown procedures, et cetera, but they didn't they didn't mention that. So. I think that's its absence was kind of telling in some ways. Very interesting, interesting though, that you know both districts are looking at both proactive and reactive ways to deal with the situation. I think, you know, Steve, your comment about uh, mental health services uh, is seems to be you know really spot on and being proactive in dealing with these problems. Are there anything else? Just we only have a minute left, but I want to give you guys a chance. Is there to say to make recommendations, perhaps to other school districts, administrators that might be listening to the program? Anything else you'd recommend uh, to improve school safety uh, plans that they should consider? Quickly, uh, let's start with Steve with Clovis Unified. I think Doug was spot on in regards to the collaboration piece with the EMS and police services. I think also don't be afraid to uh, to invite your fire department, your police department, to come watch drills and, and give any advice that they have, any challenges that they see, especially if they're coming on in an active intruder type of situation. That would be my one uh, quick suggestion. Okay, Doug, you get the last word. Uh, really quickly, I also want to echo the social-emotional health piece that uh, Steve talked about. You know, it wasn't specific necessarily to safety plans, but more of, of, of a state uh, plan for social-emotional health of students. It is, it is probably the primary issue going on right now. But regarding the monitoring and improving, you know, safety plans cannot just sit on a shelf. You have to develop a system in your school and your district in order to make sure that they continue to be a top priority. We approve, these are required to be approved annually. However, they can't just be looked at annually. They have to be ongoing living documents. And that has been the primary focus uh, for Merced City School as we have, school district as we have um, upped our ability to keep all students and staff safe is to make sure that they're living documents and that we are uh, constantly reviewing them with multiple stakeholders. Some very, some very good advice. I hope folks are listening. I want to thank our guest, Doug Collings, the Associate Superintendent of Personnel Services with the Merced City School District, Steve France, the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services with the Clovis Unified School District, and California State Auditor Elaine Howell. Thanks, all of you, for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in the Matter Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed in the Matter Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.